Happy church, it is that time to get started deep into the Word of God. And now I can actually see things. All right, we are headed actually to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, taking a break from our regular verse-by-verse study through uh, the Gospel of Matthew. Let's ask the Lord for his blessing, Father God. Now we look to you, to your spirit to open the eyes of our understanding and help us to hear your still small voice speaking to our hearts. That's what it's all about. You're here with us. You have something to say, words of life. And we pray that we would be in the right posture to receive, not only to hear them, but to put these words into practice, to be wise and blessed to be effective and productive for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Remember back in the day, you're watching a TV program, and the screen would go static, and there would be a distinct signal. We interrupt this program to bring you a special report. You remember that? Now you just get a notification on your cell phone. There it is, right? Uh, And, you know, something out of the ordinary would have been going on worthy of your attention. And so it would be more important than whatever show you were watching at the time. And so in light of the extraordinary, unprecedented world events, we interrupt our regularly scheduled program of going verse by verse uh, where we find ourselves Matthew 14 and I just didn't feel comfortable I've got to feel comfortable about it's what God wants to say and so uh, I really feel in light of what's going on that we ought to talk about the hope that we have it's called the blessed hope the appearance of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is who we are told in the New Testament is coming and to appear to the church to rescue us from the day of coming wrath upon the earth. That is really a quote from the New Testament. And so here's a special message entitled A Reason for Hope. And so to say what a crazy year 2020 has been is kind of an understatement, don't you think? I think these happenings would better be described as epic of biblical proportion. And so uh, we start out with a pandemic that I do question whether you can call it a pandemic or not, given the statistics that have been showing up. Um, The CDC has said that out of 180,000 deaths, only 6,000 of those are related only to the virus. And that 99% of those who get COVID recover. And so uh, there's some misinformation or something not adding up, some 
politicizing and oppressive restrictions and absolutely destroying the economies of the world. And so we're facing that. And then we have our one-time one greatest nation on the planet uh, coming apart at the seams. Uh, an attack on our democracy, freedom, our Judeo-Christian values are all coming undone. We used to be the envy and the hope of the entire world, but uh, that doesn't seem to be the case these days. And black lives, they matter. All lives matter. We're people of the gospel. We have the love of God in our hearts. We understand that black lives matter, but the organization is destructive. And so we have to deal with that. And then we're told that churches shall, shall not be meeting. In the midst of all of those statistics, the church is told to be closed. No gathering, no singing together, uh, no visiting the sick, no ministering to each other. You know, and all the while, other things are uh, given sanction. For example, yesterday, just to be sure, I called the local casino in Rohnert Park. I said, wow, are you guys open? And she laughed. She laughed and said, of course we're open. We're open 24-7. Yes, we're open to serve you. <laughs> well... That's part of the reason I'm preaching this message. Uh, don't we have it reversed? That the, the house where you can go and gamble away your rent money and get drunk while you're doing it and having stopped at the dispensary to get your marijuana or stop and go into a liquor store, that's all okay. And if you also want to gather together and protest and smash windows and loot uh, stores of their merchandise, no problem there, it seems. They're allowed. They're even encouraged. But if you want to go to the house of God, those doors are to be locked. No singing, no praising no preaching the gospel. And so, yeah, persecution of the church, loss of democracy, loss of personal freedom, loss of religious freedom, all under the genius guise of a concern for public health and social justice. Genius. And here we are, gathered together, not in defiance, but in obedience. It's never about defiance. We must obey God rather than men. And God has said, gather together to sing his praise and to preach the gospel and to edify one another in his great love. And so we know that we are God's children. I'm quoting 1 John chapter 5 and verse 19. We know we're the children of God and that the whole world lies under the power of and control of the evil one. And so we see his work. We know what's going on because the Bible laid it all out for us. We know that we are the children of God and God has a plan for us living in these last times of trouble. And let's talk about that plan this morning because the whole point of Paul uh, Paul's words to the Thessalonians who were under uh, great per persecution 
and they had heard that the Lord was coming to rescue them, uh, he said, I want to tell you some things so that you could be encouragers of one another. And here's the passage that um, I'm referring to. Here in chapter 4, verses 13 through 18, they should begin there on the screen. Verse 13, brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who have died. Fall asleep is a euphemism for Christian death. Christians who have died or to grieve like the rest of people who have no hope, we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have died in him. The dead in Christ will be there at rapture. We'll be all together. Verse 15, according to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive who are left till the coming of the Lord will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. Verse 16, for the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with a trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Their bodies, their bodies will be called up to where they are, and they will be glorified and completed in the presence of the Lord, where they have been since they died, fully conscious. Verse 17, I think. <laughs> After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them. That word means, can be translated in the Latin, rapturo. And that's where you get the word, the English word rapture. A lot of people like to say, oh, the word rapture is not in the Bible. <laughs> yeah, there it is, caught up, rapturo in the Latin, harpazo in the Greek, if you care. But there it is, caught up. I think you just care about being caught up, amen? <laughs> caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. Notice he doesn't say, oh, be encouraged, because he... The Holy Spirit is saying, therefore, now you are armed to encourage, be an encourager with these words. Not a divider, not somebody who is pessimistic, but be, because you know the truth, you know the plan. You be an encourager, encourage one another with these words. And so there you have it. We'll get situated now as we always do. And then we'll walk through this glorious passage there. So the believers there in first century Greece, they had some questions. And of course, we are glad they did, or we would be minus this epistle and the second one. And so Paul had only been to Thessalonica a month of Sundays, really, when he downloaded the gospel there. He only had a month with them before the bad guys, the Greek lives matter, uh, <laughs> uh, came in and forced him to flee. I wondered if you would find that entertaining. If you want the setting and all the details of how he came to uh, Thessalonica, it's in Acts chapter 17. And so, yeah, he had plenty of time to preach the gospel because the gospel so uh, easy and simple. Man separated from 
God, because of his sins, lost and doomed and stand condemned and going to perish. But God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And if you just simply believe in Christ, you open up your heart, the Holy Spirit comes in and raises you up to new life and now you live to serve God who has saved you. How hard is that? That's the gospel, right? So he had a month of that, right? But, you know, there are some complicated uh, issues and that need some clarifying. And so they had some questions. Okay, we get it. He's coming to rescue us. We're being persecuted. We're waiting. But in the meantime, Paul, since you've been with us, a few of our loved ones have died. What's going to happen to them? I mean, you were going to get raptured, and then where are they? Did they miss the rapture? That's what they were thinking. Or are we going to wait until the second coming to see them? Where are they? Are they okay? Uh, did they, oh, they didn't hang on, and they're going to miss all this joy. And then Paul called it the gathering together to our Lord Jesus Christ. And then they just said, well, we wanted to be raptured together, you know? And he's going to say, you will be. You will be. Long story short, they're with him now in their spiritual bodies. Their bodies have died and they are asleep in the grave. And on resurrection day, which is the rapture, they receive their glorified bodies in a split second before we go up. We don't need a resurrection because we're alive at the time. We just need to be changed. Now that I've preached the entire sermon, (laughs) there you have it. When we walk through it, it'll be a little bit easier now to understand. And so... Yeah, the gospel's pretty simple. Uh, I think I have it. First Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 9 and 10 on the screen. Here's the gospel, which he told them while he was there. He's repeating himself. Everyone heard about you guys, he says in that first chapter. You've turned to God from your idols to serve the living and true God. And get this, because you will forever be encouraged and you'll never have a reason to doubt whether or not we go through the tribulation or not. You're living to serve the true God and to wait from his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead Jesus who rescues us from the coming wrath period done proof text the coming wrath is not hell the coming wrath is the subject of first and second Thessalonians the day of the Lord and so we're What we're doing is we're serving him every day. This is the gospel. And we are waiting for him to rescue us out of the day of the Lord, a seven-year period that brings human history to an end and establishes his kingdom. And if this is the only verse out of dozens of them that tell you he's coming to rescue us, we do not go through the time of God's wrath because, quote, we are not appointed to wrath. Jesus paid for our wrath. Therefore, when the wrath comes on a Christ-rejecting world, we're not here. We're taken away. And that is the plan of how the answer to the question Jesus rescues us from the coming wrath. They might say, well, how does he do that? If it's coming on the whole world, how does he rescue us from the coming wrath? And this text 
is the explanation of how he does that. It divides quite nicely, really, the first part that we're looking at now. Jesus' appearance as it relates to believers who have died, and then Jesus' appearance to to believers who are alive at the time. And so the net result is comfort one another with these words. I'm on the first point still. And so you can put that up there now. Awesome. We're diving in to what happens to the dead in Christ, as we call them. Anybody who's died in faith since the time of Jesus for 2,000 years are called the dead in Christ. And if you're going to be dead, being in Christ is a pretty good deal. Amen? And so, you know, with Christ in your life, it's kind of like the Princess Bride and Miracle Max. When you're dead, you're not really dead. Uh, he said of, what's, what, what's his name, of Wesley, he was mostly dead, slightly alive, and that's really kind of uh, the case with their bodies because their bodies look pretty much dead. But one day, at the shout, at the voice, the call of God, the trumpet, that dead body, that body of yours will be glorified, perfected, and reunited to you forever. And if you have a problem with that because of your body issues, (laughs) know this, that you will have a body like his glorious body. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 21. And so, yeah, I'm getting ahead of myself, but what's new there? And so according to the Bible... To be absent from the body, to have died, is to be present with the Lord. And so Paul says, you know, in 1 Corinthians 15, if if you've got a natural body, you have a spiritual body. So when a believer dies, their spirit goes to be with the Lord. Like King Solomon said, the body returns to the ground and ashes to ash, dust to dust, but the spirit returns to the one who gave it. Right, And so they're in their spiritual bodies right now awaiting Resurrection Day. And Resurrection Day is really the rapture when they get their body reunited and they become complete. And we, well, we would be resurrected if we were dead. But the problem is, a happy problem, we happen to be alive at that moment. And so we just need to be changed and equipped, right? I told, I was driving around with the uh, sunroof open. And Dave was like, well, well, it's a little chilly. Why did you cut it open? And I was setting him up for this. And I said, you know, Dave, the Lord is going to come any second and I don't want to hurt myself on the way out, you know. And so, yeah, it was a dumb thing to say, but I'm known for that as well. So what you're looking at now, he's saying, listen up, believers, we don't want you to be uninformed is a less brutal word than ignorant. In English, we say ignorant uh, as a pejorative term here. It just simply means what ignorant means, without knowledge. That's what the word means. We don't want you to be without knowledge because Christians without knowledge put themselves through needless suffering. Oh, the suffering that's gone on and the missed opportunities and the ineffective lives of Christians who are not 
well-informed, and that could be their own fault or the fault of their pastor who gets up and says the same thing every Sunday, every single Sunday, the same, same exhortations over and over and over again. Yes, they're saved. They don't know anything else. We're supposed to be teaching and equipping and building uh, uh, one another up. Amen? So, yeah, the knowledge. He says, if you had knowledge, you'd have hope. So we don't want you without hope. And hope comes through knowing the truth. Because like Jesus said in John 8, the truth, you'll know the truth. You'll get, you'll get it. You'll understand there's a plan. He's coming. He's going to rescue me. Ah, therefore, I have hope. But if you don't know the plan, or you're confused about the plan, then what? You don't have the hope. And so he says, Yes, of course we grieve, but we don't grieve like the rest of the world when somebody we love in the Lord uh, dies. There's a bottom to Christian grief. We feel the same feelings that the world feels, except there's a bottom. I like that line I've told you before, Anna Green Gables, when Anna's having a fit about something, she's in the depths of despair, and she says to her adopted mom, uh, Marilla... She says, have you not ever been in the depths of despair? And Marilla says, of course not, Anne. That's ridiculous. To despair is to turn your back on God. Yeah, so this is the idea here that we don't grieve unto despair. We grieve and we hurt unto hope because we know we're not ignorant. We know the plan. That those who die in the Lord will receive their body the second we're raptured, the second before us. They're not handicapped in any way, having gone on an earlier flight, shall we say. <laughs> All right. And so sleep, of course, is the euphemism. And like I've said, you know, Christians are the ones who named, uh, named the burial place a cemetery, which means the sleeping place. Right? Those Christians did that. And Christians are the ones who have the tradition that all gravestones should face the east. Did you know that? Maybe they don't do that anymore, but they used to. Every headstone in the United States of America used to face the east because Christ said from the east to the west, you see the lightning. So it got into our heads that he's coming from the east. And so on that day, we want to be facing the right direction. (laughs) And so, yeah, we, we, we are free from the fear and dread and anxiety that death comes and the despair that comes with it, right? And so the world's greatest problem has been solved. No cause, uh, they have no cause for hope because they're ignorant of the plan. Now, I got a call from Pleasant Hill a cemetery, I guess they're called Memorial Parks now. And uh, he said, hey, you're on file here. He knew me. You're on file. It says non-denominational uh, pastor. And I said, yeah. And he goes, we got somebody who wants uh, one of your, your kind. And so uh, <laughs> would you like to come down and say a few words? And I said, yeah. And so I only met the mom of the son who died in a motorcycle accident uh, the day before. So when I met her, 
I told her a little bit of what I would share. And she said, oh, no, no, no mention of God, no mention of the Bible, nothing like that. And I, I was like, well, what am I going to say then? You know? and, then she, and then I said to her tongue in cheek, well, OK, OK, I can leave the, the hope out of it. I could leave the hope part out. And then that sort of opened a door. And I said, can I just read to you Psalm 23? That's so nice. Let me read it to you. And she said, OK, yeah, just don't say too much. And I said, I never have that problem. <laughs> As you well know. So I got to slip in a little hope. Oh, excuse me, I'm so sorry for giving you hope there in a tragic situation. And so, yeah, most of the world, um, they, and the pagan world there, boy, it was pretty bad. Um, a common little trendy way to put uh, something to put on your gravestone inscribed this, I was not, I became, I am not, and I care not. And I have written down here, oh, but you care now. Oh, you do care. Oh, you, you now wish you would have cared. Now, Luke 16, there's, Jesus gives us an interview with somebody, two guys who died. One a believer, one not a believer. And the not believer is in a very agonizing state. Who wants, to be re who wants the believer to be resurrected, to go to his house to tell his father and his five brothers not to go to that place? They lived ignorantly. They had no hope. And if you live without hope, you die without hope. And so I ran into a Christian, who I believe is a Christian actually, on a bike ride recently. And we talked about, and I brought up the rapture. I said, oh, any day now. Oh, I don't believe in the rapture. Uh, the rapture is just a spiritual illustration. We go straight through all the way to the end. And, you know, I brought up some of these verses. Well, what does this verse mean then? We're waiting for Jesus who saves us from the coming wrath. He's like, oh, I don't know about that. And, and here's what I say to these people. I say, brace yourself then. Oh, brace yourself. I don't know what encouragement you can give to anybody who you tell is going through what Jesus said. It will be a time of great tribulation, quoting the Son of God, unequaled from the beginning of the world until now, never to be equaled again. Brace thyself. Going through that, it gives people who like to feel like I did something, I earned my way. When, you know, God says, oh, no, you're not appointed to wrath. I'm going to rescue you. We're waiting for God's son from heaven who saves us from the coming wrath. And so, by the way, when the tribulation starts in Revelation 6, guess what it's called? The coming wrath. It's called the day of God's wrath, which we are waiting for Jesus to save us. And the way he saves us is he takes us out of harm's way, and then the wrath comes on a Christ-rejecting world. And so here's what he says. Let's dive in. Verse 14, he says, do the math. He says, let me remind you, since we believe that Jesus died 
for our sins and rose again. Therefore, we know that when we see him, they'll be with him because he died for our sins. You see Romans chapter 5, the gospel, just a reminder. At just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely would anyone dare to die, die for a righteous person, though for a good person, somebody might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love in this. While we're still sinners, Christ died for us. And since we've been right, made right with God in God's sight by the blood of Jesus, he'll certainly save us from God's condemnation. So all Paul's saying there in verse 14 is if you believe the gospel, then it's not very far leap to know that those who have died in the Lord are safe with him. They're united to him. And God, when he comes for us, they're with him. In fact, they get their resurrected bodies a split second before we will even be uh, airlifted out, if you will. And so that's just the simple math of it. Make the simple deduction. Don't be ignorant. You believe the gospel, and if the gospel is true, then those who have died in Jesus are safe, and they're with him. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8. I do that. It helps me remember where the scripture is. Let's dive into the meaty part, starting at verse 15. Now, you can read. We've already read it. I'll paraphrase. According to Jesus, the Son of God, we who are alive to the coming of the Lord, we certainly don't get caught up first before they get their glorified bodies. Verse 16, the Lord comes down from heaven, loud command, voice of Michael or Gabriel or some other archangel, the trumpet call, and first there's a bodily resurrection. They are glorified and perfected. Then, verse 17, then we are caught up together with them to meet the Lord in the air. And from then on, we are with him forever. So spread the good news, <laughs> comfort one another. Everything's going to be just fine. And so we're already finishing up on this big paragraph here. So as I've been saying, verse 15 really cuts to the chase. If you die before the rapture, you're with the Lord awaiting your glorified body which you will receive on the day Christ comes to rescue the church. If you're alive at the time Jesus appears to rescue the church, you don't need a resurrection. You need to be changed. That's called translated. You'll be changed. All right? Uh, so, and the point is, we'll all be there together. That's his point there. So now he starts there at verse 15, as the Lord said. Well, where did the Lord say anything about a rapture? Well, if you're looking at uh, chapter 24, as we read this morning, the disciples asked him for, what's the sign of your coming? And he says, wars, persecution, natural disasters, fires, famine, earthquake, pestilence, which means pandemic. Luke chapter 21, verse 11, just for fun there an increase in lawlessness, in anarchy. Yeah, Matthew 24, verse 12. That's another good one to have in your pocket, right? And then he says, then the end will come. And then he says, and you know what? When I come for the church, it's going to be like a thief in the night. 
Ooh, thief in the night. The thief slips in unnoticed, grabs the valuables, us, and then heads for the hills. Gone. I got what I want. I'm out of here. Boom. Thief in the night. That's how Jesus describes it. Two men in a field, two women in a kitchen, two, a husband and wife in bed. One believes, one doesn't. One goes, one stays. That's amazing. And so really, what Paul is elaborating on here is really Jesus' own words here in Matthew 24, as I've been quoting, about two in a field, one goes and one stays. So Paul's going to explain how that, what that looks like. And John 14, 3. Don't let your heart be troubled, he says on the night he was betrayed at the Last Supper. Don't let your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. In my Father's house, there's a place for you. I Listen to me, because this is the rapture. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you. Take you to where I am. That is not the second coming. The second coming, look, let me show you a chart. The little chart, if I can see it, you know. Oh, good. I'm sorry it's not as nice as, okay. There are two appearances, don't. Uh, there, there's an appearance for the church, and there's a second coming. Rapture of the church. It occurs before the tribulation. Jesus gives the list in Luke 21 of the signs of the end of the world, and then he says, oh, pray that you're enabled to uh, be spared all of this. Really nice. And, and as well as so many other, we're not appointed to God's wrath. And then the second coming is at the end at Armageddon when there's hardly much of an earth left. Nobody's going to weddings and doing business as usual at the end of the book of, tri of uh, Revelation, the Great Tribulation there. Uh, number two, Christ comes for the saints, okay? In, in our text, he's coming for us. And then at the, in Revelation 19, at the end of the story, Christ is coming with the saints. The saints just means separated ones. That's all. It has nothing to do with uh, moral perfection. Christ, number three, Christ takes the saints to heaven. Christ brings the, the saints back. In other words, he comes down, right, here to the air, right, to the air. And here at the end, he returns to the earth. In the rapture, nobody sees him. In the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, boom, it's a mystery, bah, changed, gone. Here, every eye shall see at the end. And so the blessed hope of the church is something Christians are looking forward to. But in the, in the Revelation, starting at chapter 6, all the way through 19, it's nothing but chaos. And I would add one more. is is that the rapture, no, nobody knows the day or the hour. But with the second coming, you can count 1,260 days from the midpoint, and he will appear. So how do you reconcile both? You have an appearance of him saving the church from the coming wrath secretly like a thief in the night, and then you have, bam, at the end, he comes with us in tow there uh, to judge the world and to establish his kingdom. Thank you very much for that, Spencer. And so uh, this, is, uh, this rescue 
it's in keeping with some Old Testament scriptures. And so, uh, do you remember Enoch in Genesis chapter 5? It says, Enoch walked with faithfully, Enoch walked faithfully with God. Then he was no more because God took him away. Now, you know when that happened? One chapter before the flood. So he stands as a picture of those who walk with God. A worldwide flood is coming. And so he takes him away. Then the wrath comes. And then you have Lot. Same story. The angel comes down and says, man, you got to get out of here. Up and out. And he grabs Lot and his household. And, and he takes them by the hand up and out. And here's the line I love in Genesis 19. He says, hurry up, man, the angel, because I can't do a thing until you're up and out and safe. Genesis 19. And then Peter points back to that scene and says, by the way, if God did that for Lot and rescued him from the coming wrath, how much more so us? So, in fact, it is a picture of the church being rescued from a sinful, crazy world out of harm's way. And so here we go now with the shout, the voice, the trumpet in verse 16. First he says, the Lord himself personally will come down. Personally, it's him. He's coming down. Like in Acts chapter 1, as he went up in the clouds, they're staring and they're longing and they're kind of like, wow, mystified. And the angels say to the disciples looking at them, looking at Jesus, say, what are you, what's your problem, guys? This same Jesus is going to come back in the same way you see him going up. And so he descends in the clouds, just like the angel said 2,000 years earlier, with a command. So Jesus utters a command, of course, always the ring of authority with the Son of God. And so he's going to give a command. What is that command going to be? Well, we're going to find out. Here, probably next Wednesday. Just, I just, I'm not setting a date. I'm just making a joke. Like any time now, like while you're listening to a sermon, boom. You know, there are three things to hear. A shout, a voice, and a trumpet. So that command, you know, it's a military word. And maybe it's just like proclaiming the captives free. It's time to go. And then there's a voice, a majestic voice of an archangel. One writer said, this is a regal, noble event, the rapture is. It's the Son of God, Son of the Most High God, coming for his blood-bought bride. This is a big event in heaven. So you're not picturing, what are you picturing? Some mist and some clouds and a couple angels with a halo kind of knocked to the side. Uh, I don't think so. There's going to be the dignitaries of heaven. There are creatures and angelic beings that you know very little about. They're all there. This is a big thing for them. And so you're going to hear one of them giving some sort of welcome, some kind of wow is going to happen. And then the shofar blows. I love this. The trumpet of God, okay? So in the Old Testament, when the trumpet sounds, it's, a, it's cause for alarm because war is being declared. So two things. One war is being declared on whom? On those left behind. 
on a Christ-rejecting world, do you know that in that second, there's not one Christian on the planet? Nobody's sins are remitted on the entire earth. Everybody owes and have spurned the cross and Jesus Christ. So there's a trumpet blast. Time for war and time for Revelation chapter 6 through 19, 21 judgments. Why 21? He's giving them time. Repent, repent. Here's one, here's two, here's three. Repent, repent. Four, five, six, seven. And at the end it says most of them shake their fists and, and continue to murder and be sexually immoral and check out fortune tellers and the whole nine yards. And so the other side of the trumpet is it's blown on feast days, Jewish holidays, like um, the Feast of Pentecost. That happens to be coming up next week. And that trumpet is blown, and it signals, okay, summer's over, the hard work's over, time to stop working, come on in, bring in the harvest. That's the trumpet there. And so it's a call, it's a commencement of joy and celebration. So you have two things going on, the joy and celebration. When we hear it, whoa, it's time for the marriage supper of the Lamb and a party and the angels, or you know, that whole thing. And the world will hear the trumpet sound of God that says, buckle your seatbelts, you who have spurned the blood of the Son of God. Time to pay. Time to pay. Fortunately, they can still get saved. They can still get saved. And a whole bunch do. But they're martyred. The second anybody pronounces Christ in that world, off with your head. But it'll be worth it. Now, do they? (laughs) I don't know. I just say stuff that comes into my mind. You know, it'll be worth it. And by the way, in Matthew chapter 10, Jesus says to his disciples, hey, some of you, they're going to cut your heads off. That's what he's, I'm quoting. He says, some of you, they're going to cut your heads off. And he goes, but don't worry. Don't worry, not a hair on your head will perish. Look it up. Matthew chapter 10. Look that up for yourselves. Hey, some of you, they're going to chop your heads off. And everyone's like, <gasps> it isn't, but don't worry. <laughs> not a hair on your head will perish. In other words, you'll be standing there, as I've said many times from this pulpit, the head goes off and you're like, Whoa, what was that about? You know? <laughs> Well, okay. <laughs> You're like, I'll tell you what that was about. I don't want that to happen to me. Well, it's not going to happen to you. You know why? Because you're not appointed to the day of wrath, but unto salvation. Amen. So uh, is the world going to hear any of that, uh, the three things? I love what David Guzik said. David Guzik said, you know when Paul had an encounter with the Lord? He heard the Lord And his companions heard the sound, but couldn't understand the words. And he and and other commentators said, isn't that just like the world? They'll hear his voice, but as usual, they'll be confused. They'll be distracted, and because they don't want to know what it means. And even if they did hear it and figure it out, ah, daylight, dollar short, you're stuck. The door's closed. The door's closed. 
And you can bang on that door. Matthew chapter 25, it tells a story about the virgins who uh, half of them were smart and they had the oil of the Holy Spirit. Half of them weren't. And when the bridegroom surprised, which is what happened in that culture, at midnight, he says, the bridegroom is here, boom. And those who were ready with the oil in their lamps, they, whoa, they were ushered in and the door was shut. And then everybody's banging on the door, let me in, let me in too. And he says, I'm sorry. The door was shut. I have it written down here. They come up, Lord, Lord. They said, open the door for us too. But he replied, truly, I don't know you. I don't know who you are. Have we met? I wanted to meet you. But apparently you had other things. And then he says, and then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them. And, you know, so you're going to be on the job site. You're going to be reading the label of some ingredients at Trader Joe's. Or you're going to uh, having a silly argument with your spouse, you know, or you'll be listening to a sermon and then boom, twinkle of an eye. Done. This is what he says. Beloved, I tell you a mystery. 1 Corinthians 15. Beloved, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all die, but we will be changed in a moment, in a flash, in a twinkling of an eye. We will be changed. That's what we're waiting for. Any second. It can happen any second. That's why Jesus says, could you just live that reality? You'll be a lot happier and more effective and productive. Uh, the, the, the word to be caught up and here's the definition, Leon Morris. There is often a notion of sudden swoop uh, and usually of a force that cannot be resisted. I love that. I love that. And even if you have bad theology and think you're going through the tribulation, you know what? He'll still put you on the flight, you know? <laughs> you're still going. Bad theology of sorts um, will not, in this regard, is not essential for salvation. And so uh, I love this. Harpazo can also be, back in ancient Greek, a technical term of welcoming honored guests. Isn't that amazing, right? And so there you have it. Now, some of you are like, oh, it's so hard for me to believe that we're all going to, you know, a third of the planet's going to just whoosh, disappear. Really? Is it really that hard for you? Is it harder uh, than believing that God spoke and made a universe by speaking? Is it harder than that? Is it harder uh, than believing that God became a human being by incarnating himself into a human womb, that God Almighty became one of us? Is, is the rapture harder to believe than that? that Jesus died on the cross and rose again from the dead and that he walked on water? You believe all of that. So why is it so hard to believe that any second we're all going to be caught up? I'll tell you why. It's because this time it involves you. This time it involves you. The miracle involves you. It's not just something you're reading about. Peter swung the sword and chopped off the guy's ear. And Jesus said, hold on, everybody. It's okay. No panic. You don't need to go to urgent care or anything. Bam. Done. And he heals. The ear is there after it's been severed from his head. You believe that? 
What is so hard for you? You believe that Jesus is going to appear in the sky, come through the clouds with great glory and on a horse? You believe that? Why don't you believe this simple little thing that we're going to be taken up? And you're all thinking the same thing. We do believe it, so can you move on? (laughs) (laughs) Last thing, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Just some implications of that, and we're done. Number one, if we're always going to be with the Lord from that point on, number one, from then on, eternally safe. Isn't that nice to know? It's just nice to know that he'll be with us, we with him. New order of things, no more crying, and no more mourning. Uh, number two, we'll always have what we need. If we're always with the Lord, we'll always have what we need because he's our shepherd. And if we have him, we lack no good thing. Number three, we have purpose and meaning and adventure in our lives. There's stuff to do. We're not all around the throne singing for eternity. That's not, uh, we do a little of that. We do a lot of that probably, but we don't do that nonstop forever. Remember I told you my son came home from youth group and he said, Dad, I'm a little concerned. My youth pastor said that we're going to be around the throne. He said, you better worship because that's all we're going to do in heaven. We're going to sit around the throne and we're going to worship him forever. And he was a little concerned about that. And he said, is that like all we're going to do? And I said, there are worlds. We administrate. We reign with him. We judge angels. We will be judging the world with him, sitting on thrones, administrating his kingdom. Wow. There's adventure. There's purpose. And there's glory. And there's pleasure. You've made known to me the path of life. You'll fill me with joy in your presence. It's not going to be boring. And lastly, I have, we will never sin again. It's moving to me. It's moving to me. The older I get, the more I hate myself, my fallen nature, this body of death that I'm strapped to. And one day, the second I see him, I shall awake in his likeness and never be able to sin again. You too. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for your great love. Now, as we close out this time together, help us to be encouragers, to encourage one another with this word. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to The Rocks Podcast. Our regular services are held on Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you'd like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org.